wanna, uh, I would like to start by telling you a little story. That is a picture of little Hattie Mae Wyatt. And when Hattie Mae was about six years old, she was having a conversation with her pastor, that grumpy looking guy next to her, um, not all pastors are grumpy, um, about Sunday school. And, and he, he said to her, um, I, know, I know that our Sunday school is, is really, really crowded. And she said, yeah, I know sometimes I'm even afraid to go in there because it is so crowded. And he said, well, one day when we have enough money, we're going to build a big enough Sunday school so all the children can, can fit in there. So um, unfortunately, little Hattie Mae passed away two years later at the age of eight. And after her funeral, her parents approached their pastor, Reverend Conwell, with a little bag. And in that bag was 57 cents and a note that said to build a bigger building so all the children can go to Sunday school. And her parents gave that bag to Pastor Conwell. And he took that 57 cents and he converted it into 57 pennies. It's kind of a genius actually. And then he sold the 57 pennies and he got $250 for those 57 pennies. And he actually got 54 of the pennies back. And he turned around and he converted that $250.54 into pennies and he did it again. And he did it again. And he founded an organization called the, that, the Hattie Might Organization, as in the widow's might. Um, and through that organization and what started with what a little girl had to offer, a church of 5,600 people was built. 80,000 students were sent to college. 2,000 people were sent out into the mission field to share the love of Jesus. That one little girl's offering, what she had to give, literally changed the world. So let's undergo a little thought experiment. What if, what if little Hattie had thought to herself, well, I'm just a kid, what can I do? What if when, when Hattie's parents found the, um, the little bag with the money and the note in it, what if they had said, oh, 57 cents, how cute, and they left it at that? Or what about, what about if, they, if they grabbed onto that 57 cents and they said, oh man, this is just one of the few things that we have left to remember our little girl and they held on to it. They would, they would have what experts today call a scarcity mindset. And I, I wanna read you this definition. In the simplest terms, the scarcity mindset is the belief that there will never be enough, whether it's money, food, emotions, or something else entirely. And as a result, your actions and thoughts stem from a place of lack. Instead of believing that you have enough and there is plenty to go around, you cling to everything out of a fear of coming up short. Fortunately, little Hattie and her parents did not have that mindset. The opposite of a scarcity mindset is an abundance mindset. And as we're journeying through the Gospel of Matthew and we're looking at Jesus' directional commands, the road sign that we come to today is the idea of abundance. 
and our big idea for this morning that if you leave here with nothing else this morning that I hope you would leave here with is scarcity says I can't. Abundance says that Jesus can. Scarcity says I can't. Abundance says that Jesus can. So we're in Matthew chapter 14. We're starting in verse 13, and we're going to read a handful of verses. We're going to go through them together. When Jesus had heard what had happened, he withdrew by a boat, by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. So what had happened, the verses immediately before that, we learn of the execution of John the Baptist. Jesus' cousin, a prophet, a messenger from God, someone with whom Jesus was close, had ties to, and very much could have, Jesus could have thought that his fate, well, ultimately it was, but his fate was Jesus' fate. So he decided to withdraw. And experts argue about how long the time between John's death and this, this incident were. Some say a couple days, some say six months, but it said he withdrew. And he withdrew, we can make, kind of make some assumptions that he would withdraw to a solitary place. Scripture tells us that he did that multiple times. Jesus would withdraw to a solitary place to pray, to be with his father. Last week we talked about rest, right? And a key component of rest is the spiritual discipline of solitude. And solitude for some of us can be a scary thing. And like, I, you know what, I don't want to be by myself. Surround me with people. And for others, it's like, oh, yes, please, thank you. Right? But it is a spiritual discipline that we should all pursue. Jesus taught it, and he, and he modeled it. So whether or not, we're not really sure what his motives were, but we know that he was going to be alone with his father. Trying to move to the next slide. Virginia, can you move me to the next slide, please? When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Jesus wanted to be alone with a handful of his closest friends. He gets to where he was going, and there was a crowd of people there. Reason number 712, Jesus is way better than me. I would have turned around and gone someplace else. I would not, I would just, I wanted to be alone. But Jesus is always about other people. He's always about serving. It's a piece of his character that we can um, we just need to wrap our brains around in any way that we can. And he had compassion on them. He didn't just show up. He actively met them in the place of their need. While he was in a significant place of need, he met them in their place of need and helped them move beyond that. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. So, remote place. Again, experts tell us that the closest villages were, were small. And there's no way that those villages could have provided food, we learn at the end of this, for thousands of people. But the disciples, knowing that they didn't have enough food for 5,000 people, wanted them to go away. So they, didn't, they had that scarcity mindset, right? They were afraid. What are we going to do? This could get ugly. The crowd could turn on us. Let's send them away so we don't, we don't have to deal with them. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves, and bread, or five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. 
You, Jesus says you give them. Jesus wants to include other people in his work. He doesn't need us. He didn't need the disciples, but he wanted to include them for them. He wanted them to experience Jesus himself in a new way. He wanted them to learn a new skill set. He wanted to develop their faith. So he did it through them. The disciples, in response to Jesus, we only have five and two. They had that scarcity mindset. They saw through their own eyes. This is, this is all we got. Maybe if we had 55 and 22, maybe. All we got. It's only five and two. Jesus says, bring them to me. Jesus doesn't correct them. Jesus doesn't yell at them. And Jesus didn't say, you're not prepared. He says, bring me what you have. That, this is the, the phrase where I got the road sign for today. Bring them to me. When Jesus says that to us, he's asking for what we have. And he's going to take it and he's going to use it and he's going to multiply it and do way more than we could ever ask or imagine. And he directed the, the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. We try to model the way we live after Jesus. Look up, lean in, reach out. Jesus, in front of all these people, he stops and he looks up to his father and he says, thank you for what we have. Thank you for what we have. He acknowledges God's role in what is going on. And then he gives the bread to the disciples and has the disciples pass the food out. So as I was, as I was praying about this and, and thinking about this this week and just trying to put myself in the disciples' shoes. So 5,000 people, not including um, women and children. Could have been 10,000 total, could have been 15, could have been 20,000, right? It's thousands of people. How The disciples had to get the food from Jesus to the people. So let's just, like, let's picture the arena at Harbor Yard, right? That holds a couple thousand people. The, the, the vendors go to the concession thing, they get their hot dog rack, they get their soda rack, whatever, and they go out. And they can only carry a limited amount. If I were one of the disciples, I would hand out the last of what I had, and I would be heading back to Jesus. I'm like, I'm going to have to go back and tell that next row of people we're, we're out of food. Like, I mean, at what point did they get to row, like, double A, like, double P? Before, like, the, what Jesus was in the process of doing and what he was showing the disciples was nothing short of miraculous and he was involving them in it and he was building their faith through the process every time they went back there was enough food and they came back and they were able to feed all those people they all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over some people argue if there's any significance to there being 12 there were 12 disciples that basketfuls of leftovers with for the disciples Nobody, nobody really knows for certain. But what we do know for certain is that Jesus didn't just like meet the bare minimum. Jesus lavishly provided for these people. There was more than enough. Everyone ate and was satisfied. I don't know about you guys, but when I sit down to a meal, and for me to like, you know, get that, that 
you know when you push back from a big meal and you're like, ah, you're just reflecting on the meal? Like that's, that's satisfied? Like that's a, for me, that's a lot of food. So Jesus didn't just supply like the bare minimum. He came through and just provided more than they could ask or imagine. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Um, before we move on, I, I want to make one, one general comment about the Bible. So the, the Gospel of Matthew is one of four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tells the story of Jesus' life. The rest of the New Testament kind of um, directs us in how we should try to live like Jesus and follow him and live together in the way that he directed us. A lot of people get caught up in, well, we don't really need the Old Testament anymore. We have, we have Jesus. You guys, the Bible in its entirety points to Jesus. The words that Jesus used, Jesus is very specific in his word choice. Those words were used throughout scripture by different people. The things that he did in feeding a large group with a little, Moses did in the desert when the Israelites were wandering around the wilderness trying to get to the promised land. God working through Moses fed a multitude of people out of nothing. Jesus fed a multitude of people out of nothing. There's a, prof there's a prophet in the Old Testament named Elisha who fed a lot of people from nothing. Both of those instances are forerunners. They point to Jesus. They just weren't as good as Jesus. They didn't just, Moses wasn't Jesus. Elisha wasn't Jesus. Jesus came through and did those things. So as you, you know, if you're picking up your Bible and reading it on your own, I would encourage you to, to look for glimpses of Jesus, even in those Old Testament pas passages that might, might be troublesome or, or find a little bit um, obscure. Anyways, let's move on. So I want to talk about the difference between this idea of scarcity and, um, and abundance. A scarcity mindset will lead us to a place of fear. When we think we lack resources, when we lack money or we lack understanding, it can create anxiety in us and we're afraid to, we're just afraid. And it doesn't, we don't think clearly, we get focused on that fear and the the possible bad consequences that could come out. When we have an abundance mindset, we have courage. I want to read to you a verse that speaks to this. This is a, the Apostle Paul who wrote the better part of the New Testament. And he had a physical ailment that he was asking God to get rid of for him. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When we come to the end of our abilities, when we look at a situation and say, I can't do this, that's when Jesus is at his best. And when we have the thought that abundance says that Jesus can, and we trust in him, when Jesus says, bring them to me, we can move confidently, courageously into that because it's, we're relying on Jesus, not on ourselves. That's Jesus at his best when we are weak 
that's when Jesus is at his best. Scarcity leads to self-centeredness. Abundance leads to compassion. I don't know about you guys, but when things are tight or I'm in a situation that I feel like I don't, I can't grasp, I can't get my head around, um, I tend to, whatever it is, if it's time, if it's money, if it's energy, I tend to hoard it and squirrel it away. And my, my mind, happy minds, and I like, I pull it in, I pull it in close. Abundance says that the opposite is what is possible. The opposite is what we are capable of. The opposite is what Jesus enables us to do in compassion. This is also from the book of um, 2 Corinthians. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. He's writing to the Corinthian church and he's telling them about the churches in Macedonia. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. That's like a strange equation. Joy plus poverty equals generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. It is my hope and prayer that each of you would get to a point where you are so excited about what Jesus is doing in and through you and about what Jesus is doing in and through us at Crossroads as a community that you would just want everyone else to know about it and you would be willing to offer whatever it is that Jesus asks. Your time, your talents, your resources, your money. And not out of your surplus, but just out of what you have. And Jesus says, bring it to me. You would bring it to him. Scarcity leads to overvaluing the good stuff and undervaluing the bad stuff. Abundance leads to correct valuation. Let me explain that. In a scarcity mindset, we'll take even those good things, the things that Jesus has chosen to bless us with. And we'll like, I only have three of those. I better hold on to them. If I give them away, I'll only have two. And that's really close to none. So we, ho we hold them tight and we don't share them and we don't bless others with them. Overvaluing the good stuff. Undervaluing the bad stuff. Even, even in our hardships and our trials, Jesus promises to use those for our good and for his glory. Let's look at one more piece of scripture here. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves, we ourselves have received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. There's that word, abundance. There's, um, as I was reading through some stuff to get ready for this, I came across this quote. Uh, it spoke to that situation, the God of all comfort, comforting us so we can comfort others. It is beautiful when comfort spreads in this way, and it should happen often in the body of Christ. It is sweet to see people redeem their suffering. Sorry, I'm going to have to turn around and read this. It is sweet to see people redeem their suffering by taking their eyes off themselves and turning them towards God. Look up towards God. 
to find strength and then turn to others to offer the comfort, lean in, right? To turn to others and offer the comfort that God has provided them. I know some of your stories and I know that some of those stories, there may not be many blessings in there. It feels like there's only suffering and there's only hardship. But let me encourage you in this. Please take heart in this. That Jesus will take your sufferings, your hardships, and move in them and through them to bless other people. In the midst of that stuff, when Jesus reaches out to you, either through the person who sits next to you here on Sunday mornings, or through a verse, or through your circumstances, it's so you can turn around and bless somebody else. If you've walked through the roads of a, of a hard marriage or a divorce, if you, if you have hung in there with a child who struggles, if you know the uncertainty that unemployment can be, you are uniquely qualified to step into somebody's life, to meet them where they are, and to show them the love of Jesus and help them move closer to him. We, abundance allows us to look at not only our blessings and say, my blessings are your blessings, have Adam. But to know that Jesus works even in our hardships and our suffering, and it is never in vain. Last one. Scarcity mindset leads to paralysis. Abundance leads to action. Kind of tied to this fear thing. Sometimes that fear can build up to such a point that we'll want to curl up in the fetal position in the corner and not move. That there's so much stacked against us. We have so little. What we have to offer is so insufficient that we just choose not to do anything. And we sit there and it paralyzes us. That abundance mindset will move us to step out from beyond ourselves. I'm going to read you a story from the prophet Elijah. I referenced Elisha earlier. This is the prophet Elijah. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so may I have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make me a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord said. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. The widow had a scarcity mindset. She had given up. She was just ready to call it, call it quits. Elijah shows up with an abundance mindset. Elijah is in the midst of the drought just like she is. Elijah has access to the same physical resources 
She's got a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. But Elijah has this abundance mindset that he knows the power of the God of the universe is available to him and wants to work through him. In, in responding, the woman not only took care of Elijah, but she and her family were blessed. They were moved from paralysis to action by a change in their mindset, their abundance mindset. And I did what I'm calling part one of a message on Jesus feeding the 5,000 last week. And we're going to pick up and kind of cover the, um, the back half of that message this morning. A couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to, um, to go to an event in New Haven. And I'm not all that familiar with New Haven. And generally, I'm not like a, I don't consider myself a city guy. So I try to make things as easy for myself as possible. So if I go to New York, I'll take a cab instead of trying to take the subway, that kind of thing. So went online, found the closest parking garage I could to where I was going to be, went, went into the parking garage. I'm walking out, and the event started at like 7.30 at night. I'm walking out, and I see this sign on the door. It says hours, 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. I'm like, well, that can't be for the garage. That's ridiculous. That, that, whatever. And so I just went and went to the event, had a good time, looked at my watch as I'm leaving. I'm like, oh, it's 5 after 9. It's 5 after 9. It said the parking garage closed at 9. All right. So I go back, and I'm like, there's no, it's got to be, it's got to be open, right? Big gates down where you drive your car in and out. Really? And I go, there's a little door where you can walk in and out. All right. Hours are 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. They weren't kidding. It really is closed. <laughs> so I'm thinking, I'm, I'm, the people who I met there live an hour away in the other direction. Gail had just driven from Philadelphia back to home that day. I'm like, I'm not going to call her. Come get me in New Haven. I'm like, all right, well, I'll just Uber home. So called, gotten. Got in the car, had a lovely Uber ride with Joseph, who uh, happens to love Jesus, and, um, and just we had a great conversation. So on our way back, oh, the kids are supposed to have been dismissed. Oh. Cool. So go home, apologize to Gail. Say, I'm sorry, sweetheart, but I'm, I need you, to, need you to drive me to New Haven in the morning so I can pick up my car or try to figure out. The fine print on there says, open 7 a.m. to 9 p.m., Monday through Friday. It was a Friday night. Saturday morning, we roll in. I'm like, come on, really? So there's a, there's a phone number there. So we're like, okay, we'll try and get in touch with these people. So Gail's on the phone, and I'm just kind of watching. And out of the corner of my eye, I see a car pull up to the gate. And I'm like, oh, well, they're just going to back out. They're not going to be able to get in. And the car disappears. Like, Okay. And then I see a couple of people walk up, and they walk into the, you know, the pedestrian door, and they don't come back out. I'm like, all right, I, I get out of the car, and I'm standing there, I'm like stalking the door. I'm just like, I had to look really, really sketchy. This another nice little couple walks up, and I got this grimace on my face, and I'm like, you guys live here? You know what the deal is with this parking garage? I'm like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, how do, you, how do I get my car out? I parked here last night, and I couldn't get my car out. Well, you put the ticket they gave you right there. <laughs> and there's a little kiosk deal right there. You put your card in. Cha-ching. <laughs> Door opens. Same card, like magic. 
when you're driving out, you put it in another slot, and it opens a gate. And you're like, your car out. So that was my trip to New Haven. <clears throat> That's why I don't go to the city very often. <laughs> but here's the thing. So the answer to my problem was right in front of my eyes. Literally, the door is here, kiosk deal is there. And I just, I was fixated on the fact, 7 a.m. to 9 p.m., 10 after 9, I had, I had, my time was limited. And that was my mindset. That was where I was operating from. I had a lack of time, and I wasted it, and I missed it. And it did not allow me to open my eyes and see what was going on around me. And as we go throughout life, and we come upon these situations where we feel like we have limited understanding, or we have limited resource, or we have limited time, we get fixated on that. And that's all we can think about. And that's what drives our actions. That's what drives our thoughts. That's what drives our behaviors. It's called the scarcity mindset. And this is what we started talking about last week. And we just got to the point in the message where I was going to talk about how we move from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset. And the, the scarcity mindset says, I can't. But the abundance mindset says that Jesus can. Scarcity says, I can't. Abundance says that Jesus can. And as we... We're going to take another look at the story, how Jesus feeds the 5,000, and we're going to see how in that story the disciples had the scarcity mindset, and Jesus brought to them right in front of them, the answer was right in front of them, and the, the disciples had seen Jesus do crazy stuff. It wasn't like they hadn't, he hadn't done miracles in front of them before, but they were fixated on their lack and what they didn't have rather than the abundance that was in front of them. So um, within, the, within the Bible... Bible's divided up into two parts, Old Testament, New Testament. First four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are the stories of Jesus' uh, public ministry, the three years that he was um, teaching and healing and, and trying to draw people into the, into the kingdom of God. Each of those authors were, they were different men from different backgrounds, writing to a different audience and a different purpose. In those four Gospels, there are two miracles, only, only two of all the miracles that Jesus did that are recorded in all four. One of them is the resurrection. That's an important one. You'd think that would be in all four. The other one is Jesus feeding the 5,000. There's, there's lessons that we need to learn here. It's the one of only two that are captured in all four Gospels. So we need to focus in on that and figure out why all four of these guys thought it so important that they needed to capture it. And the really cool thing about um, when we have an account of something Jesus did in more than one gospel is we get a much fuller picture of what happened, right? We, re we read last week in Matthew's gospel, Matthew's account of Jesus feeds the 5,000 this morning so we can kind of all get grounded in the story. I'm going to read to you John's account of the same feeding of the 5,000. We're going to be in John chapter 6, and we're looking at verses 1 through 13. Hey, Angelo, could you uh, do the slides for me while I'm reading? Thanks, buddy. So here we go. Chapter 6, verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, 
he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test them, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat, they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed them, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. That's John chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. So I want to point out two things. We kind of went uh, almost word for word through the, the Matthew account. And I just want to point out um, two things about the John account that we don't see in Matthew's account. And the first one is the, that little mini conversation that Jesus had with Philip. And Jesus says to Philip, how are we going to do this? And Philip immediately starts doing math. And he's like, there's no way we don't have enough money to do this. And he's thinking in terms of human math, right? And then so Andrew, Andrew pipes up and he says, well, we have, we have something, but it's just a kid's lunch. So we have Andrew also kind of looking at this from this human math perspective. Philip's looking at it from a quantity deal and, uh, sorry, Philip's looking at it from a quantity deal and Andrew's looking at it from like a quality deal. It's just a kid's lunch. What are we going to do with it? The disciples, we do the same thing, right? We look at what we have and we think, okay, here's this little bit and we add. Jesus then takes that and he multiplies it and he does far more than we could ask or imagine with we bring him what we have. He doesn't ask for more. He doesn't ask for different. He asks for what each of us uniquely have to offer. So I, I laid out just, again, by way of quick review, the differences between this abundance mindset and a scarcity mindset. And I'm not going to go through all the detail. If you want to catch up, we'll put the video up from, from last week where I, I put up some scripture that goes with each, each of these and explain the difference between scarcity and abundance. But just to give you an idea, fear versus courage, self-centered versus compassion, the correct evaluation versus the misevaluation, and the paralysis versus action. Those are the differences. They're stark differences. It's night and day kind of differences between scarcity and abundance and the things that we are capable of and the way we act when we have this abundance mindset. The way we move from scarcity to abundance is positivity and gratitude rooted in Jesus. Positivity and gratitude rooted in Jesus. And there's a couple things that I would say about positivity. First, let's think about the compassion of Jesus. I say rooted in Jesus because, folks, more than anything, as you are trying to follow Jesus, as you are trying to live this life with Jesus, if we're going to dedicate ourselves to anything, it's getting to know who Jesus is, how he thinks, how he acts, what's important to him, and we have got to commit ourselves to that. So to that end, 
just to highlight a couple of things as we think about the story of feeding the 5,000 and what it is about Jesus that can make us live a life of with positivity. And the first thing I would suggest to you, Jesus' compassion. Right? When Jesus walked this earth, he voluntarily laid aside some of the access that he had to all of his power. The Bible tells us that Jesus is omnipotent, right? all-powerful. He laid some of that aside. And he came and he walked this earth as one of us, and he was subject to all the, um, the harshness of the human condition. He was subject to all of our weakness, all of our failings, all of our temptations, and yet he conquered all of them. And then he conquered the one that nobody else could. When he died on that cross, he paid the price for the sin that we deserved in his need, right? He was operating from a position of he didn't have access to all of his, his divine powers, which he voluntarily laid aside. Still fully 100% man, 100% God, just chose not to use that. The Bible tells us he could have called down a legion of angels to pull him off that cross and make it all stop, but he didn't. From his need, he met our need in human form. How much more now that he, is, he beat death, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, full access to all of his power, how much more can he, will he meet our needs when we bring him what he asks of us? Jesus is compassionate and will meet us in our need and take what we have to offer. Jesus has the resources of the universe at his disposal. He doesn't lack anything. When um, the, the abundance mindset is about moving beyond this idea of a, of a zero-sum game. In order for me to have you necessarily have to have less, right? That's a zero-sum game. If somebody has more, that means somebody has less. That's not how the kingdom of God operates because God has the resources of the universe at his disposal. If he wants you to have more, he will give you more. He's not going to necessarily take it from somebody else for you to have it. He has all of that at his disposal. Another thing that we should bear in mind as we think about Jesus and why we can be positive is the fact that Jesus will not only allow, but he will often place us in situations and in positions where we are beyond our capabilities. We are beyond our resources. We are beyond our understanding. And he does that not to set us up for failure, but he does that so we might experience him in a different way, in a, in a deeper way, in a new way. So we can learn more about him. Jesus will allow us and will often place us in situations where we have to depend on him. He'll say, bring me what you have and watch what I do with it. I think one of the other things that we should keep in mind is Jesus' track record. Uh, Norbert used that phrase the other night at an at a elder, uh, elder meeting, and I was just like, that's such, such a perfect, like Jesus has a perfect track record. If you look in scripture and then you look in the stories of the people in this room, Jesus' track record is perfect. If he says he's going to do something, he'll do it. He can be trusted. And the, the last thing I want to mention about 
why we can have this sense of positivity, why we can confidently offer what we have is the, uh, the superlatives that the Bible uses to talk about what Jesus does, what he's, what he's capable of. And I just pulled um, three, three quick verses. I'll step aside so you can see them, so I can see them to read them to you. Um, you think about, so let's think about the, uh, the feeding of the, the, the 5,000. There were 12 baskets left over. Right? It wasn't just a bare minimum that Jesus provided. 12 baskets left over. Everybody was satisfied. Everybody had enough. Jesus lavishes us with the things that we need, the things that he wants to give us. Let's look at some of this other language. This is in Philippians chapter 4, talking about when we pray, when we're anxious. Instead of being anxious, we should pray. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, transcends all understanding. The smartest person, the deepest person, the wisest person, it's beyond their understanding. The peace that comes on us, that Jesus offers to us when we come to him with prayer. Next verse, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times you have all that you need. You will abound in every good work. Right, there's that word, there's a, that abundance word. Jesus lavishes us with the capability to do good. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Um, the this, I use the word superlative in, intentionally, right? The, of the highest order, the things that Jesus does are never just enough to squeak by. They're always that full, that over the top. Jesus will always come through in, in that way. And what's really, it's like, it's usually not the way we had anticipated or even necessarily the way we wanted, but it's what's best for us and it's what brings him the, um, the most glory. So as we transition to thinking about from, from positivity to, to gratitude, I think the reason we can do that is this, is that if Jesus never chose to bless any one of us again with anything, we would still be in a position where we could and should be grateful to him for who he is because of his his perfect, full character. And for what he did on the cross and in his death and his resurrection. But Jesus, that's not how Jesus works. He, he continues to bless us and he continues to lavish gifts upon us. And he continues to put us in situations where we can offer him what we have and then watch what he does with it. That's why we can be grateful. That's why we should be grateful. That's why the pages of scripture... Um, are filled with admonitions about gratitude, filled with stories about people being grateful, right? When we think about, um, think about prayer, the, the Philippians verse that I put up there, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, right? We're supposed to found, our, we're supposed to root our prayer in, in thanksgiving. There's another verse, and I think it's in Thessalonians, that says, in all circumstances, we should be thankful, And, and Jesus lived this, and he, he modeled it for us, right? He modeled gratitude. Even in this story of feeding the 5,000, he gave thanks. And 
he gave thanks to his father. He stopped, right? He looked up and he gave thanks to his father with what was offered. If that were me, I would have been like, really, this is all we got? You brought me a kid's lunch? Um, but so Jesus stopped and he gave thanks. And, and because of the way, because of the way Jesus works, he was thankful before the miracle happened. Right? Jesus was thankful before the miracle happened. The, perhaps the, the height, the greatest expression of gratitude that we have is to express that gratitude, to express praise to God, to express worship to God as if the miracle had already happened. Right? If we can stand here in our moment of, of need and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and lean into each other and still say thank you as if the miracle had already happened, man, is God glorified in that moment. Right? Let's think about this for a second. <clears throat> Bible tells us that Thanksgiving brings glory to God. We know that we were created, the purpose for which we were created is to bring glory to God. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Put those two together. You were created to be grateful. Sometimes we walk through life and we feel like me at the parking garage. Stuck, right? Bumping our head into things. Can't get to where we want. Because we're not fulfilling our God-created purpose. So a couple years ago, uh, I was really convicted by the Holy Spirit of a, of a significant lack of gratitude. Um, I was in a place where uh, instead of my demeanor being one of, of gratitude, I was uh, bitter and I was envious of, of people and friends around me. And I didn't like the person that I was becoming. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit convicted me of was this idea of gratitude. And the beautiful thing about gratitude is it's something that can be developed, just like a muscle or a, a skill. And so I began, um, someone introduced me to the prayer of examine, which is a prayer of an idea, a concept that St. Ignatius put together. And this is just kind of a I took it and I read it and I thought about it and I'm like, okay, I can, I can kind of tweak this and use it. So every morning when I get up, I will review the previous day. And my priority in reviewing the previous day is to look for God's blessing, to look for God's hand, to look for his provision, for all those things that I could and should be thankful for and to say thank you be super, super intentional. And I didn't, I didn't gloss over the hard parts. I'm not like burying my, he burying my head in the sand. By, by starting with what God had done and the way that he'd blessed me and the things for which he'd provided me, I could, I could approach the hard things with a sense of expectancy. Right? Couple that with the promises of scripture, knowing that God works for good in all things. And I was able to, to develop, and I, I, it's still something that I'm working on. It's not something that I'm finished by any means, but it's something that can be developed. So both of those things, 
um, require some time alone with God. If we're going to get to know who Jesus is, we have to spend time in his word. We have to read the Bible. We have to engage the Bible. We have to pray the Bible. We have to, once we do that on our own, we have to reach out to people maybe a little bit further down the road than us and say, hey, I was reading this in the scripture and I didn't, didn't quite make sense. Or, hey, I was reading this and it grabbed hold of me and it totally resonated with me. And then this idea of gratitude. We have to take time. We have to create time where we can get alone with God and we can just say thank you. And, and from that position of gratitude, be able to, to talk to God, interact with God, just be with God. Solitude leads to gratitude, leads to abundance. There's not a, not a lot of, faith in general is not linear, right? And it doesn't always work exactly like this. But those concepts do build on each other and do lead into each other. So when we... Um, when we can come to Jesus and offer him what we have and allow him to do with it what he wants, right? That's where the abundance mindset kicks in. So, and that can be developed. I'm going to ask the, the band to, to come back up here. That abundance mindset frees us to live the life for which we were created. It frees us to live generously. It frees us from fear. It frees us from self-centeredness. It frees us from placing the wrong emphasis on the hard things, and it frees us from placing the wrong emphasis on the good things. So I want to I challenge you guys this week. I, wanna, I want you to do those two things. Get alone with God, and I want you to memorize that verse, John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. That's why Jesus came, so you would have that abundance mindset. Create some time to do that. Create some time to get alone and say thank you. Right? And as we root ourselves in Jesus, as we keep our eyes, we look up and we keep our eyes fixed on him, we'll begin to feel that shift from scarcity to abundance. Because I promise you, whether it's two minutes from now, or two days from now, two months from now, two years from now, maybe all of that, Jesus is gonna come to you and he's gonna ask you for what you have. And you could, Jesus, I know, I know you're asking me for my apples, but I only got three. I don't, if I give you my apples, I'm not going to have any. Or, Jesus, um, I know you, and I know you're asking for my apples, and it's going to be an awesome apple pie that you're going to make. But if I give you my apples, they're not good enough. They're going to ruin that pie. Or, rooted in positivity and gratitude in Jesus, you can say, Jesus... Here's the apples that I got. There's only three of them, and they're a little banged up. But here they are. I can't wait to see what you're going to do with them. 